Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Penn Station Sports Talk. I'm Jay. I'm your host. This is episode seven, I believe. I'm joined today with Justin and Tom once again. Um, since our last episode a week ago, the Nets are still playing in their series against the Milwaukee Bucks. Some thought that would be over after the first two games. It isn't. And the Bucks are winning actually right now in game six. The Philadelphia 76ers, who were thought to maybe even sweep the Hawks, they're not doing so hot right now. They're actually down in that series. The Mets are winning games. The Yankees have not been hitting. Lots of pitchers have spoken out about the MLB's rule with the substances. A lot has gone down in the last week, and we're going to break it all down right here, right now. So I think where I want to start is – the NBA and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets series. First two games, Brooklyn absolutely dominated. We went over this. Giannis was the only sort of hope for the Bucks. Chris Middleton was nowhere to be found. Drew Holiday was nowhere to be found. The Nets were just dominating. Then James Harden gets hurt, and all of a sudden the Bucks. win win game three in a defensive game, eighty six to eighty three, in a close one. Then in game four, Milwaukee once again comes out red hot in that game. Kyrie Irving gets hurt, and Giannis drops 34 points with 12 rebounds. And without James Harden in that game, like I said, Kyrie hurts his ankle. And then game five, Kyrie's out. Harden is is doubtful to play, but what does he do? He puts on a heroic act and he plays in that game in game five and the best part is he plays 45 minutes and has five points six rebounds eight assists clearly clearly dragged down by that injury not able to really be explosive not able to do much with the ball besides pass the ball and yet yet the Brooklyn Nets still end up winning due to a monumental historic performance by Kevin Durant, who I think he had played one of the best games I've ever seen in, in, in the playoffs, 49 points on 70% shooting 17 rebounds, 10 assists, putting the team on his back. And, and just overall, when, when the nets needed a guy to step up with all these injuries, they got it. And that's the reason why they got Kevin Durant in the first place for games like this. Giannis was great again. And, and listen, the Bucs weren't even that bad in that game. The defense was struggling, especially to guard Durant. But crazy series. 2-0 uh, Nets over Bucks. You think it's over. The Bucs won a couple games. Now Kyrie's hurt. Now it looks like the Bucs have the advantage. Durant has this insane game. And now we're here in game six tonight. And as of last time I checked, the Nets were losing. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where, where that game goes. Game seven, if if the Bucks are to win tonight, would be back in Brooklyn. I believe that would be on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, guys, uh, Justin, let's hear your thoughts about how that series played out so far and of Kevin Durant's play. Yeah, it was quite a turn. I mean, the last time we spoke, it looked like a obvious, you know, Nets and four, Nets and five. Now it's a quite a different story after these injuries. I James Harden he really didn't look like himself 
at all. And, you know, Kyrie, he's already basically out for the series. So it's basically all on Kevin Durant's back. And he got it done in game five. Amazing performance, clutch shot one after another. And that's really been the difference in the series. It's been who is making the plays with the last, you know, two, three minutes of the game. And in game five, it was Kevin Durant. Giannis had, you know, ample opportunities to get the job done. He missed some key free throws. You know, he missed a fadeaway jump shot when James Harden was guarding him in the post. You know, they had they had a chance with Chris Middleton there to make it close at the end. And he missed he threw it to Giannis and turned the ball over. So it really comes down to one or two plays in all of these games. And Kevin Durant is one definitely up there as one of the most clutch players in the entire NBA. And he's the guy you would want to have on your team with the game on the line. So if the Nets are able to keep it close, even without their stars, they can still get the job done and they're still an NBA finals contender. Another thing that I think we should talk about is, is the, especially in game five, the Brooklyn bench, because Jeff green, who came off the bench in that game, 27 points on seven of eight from three, eight of 11 from the field. And I think that was a huge part. And I think, uh, um, just a contributor to the outcome of that game was the bench. The bet, the Bucks bench had a combined 15 points while Joe Harris himself, um, jo- I'm sorry, uh, Jeff Green himself nearly doubled that. So it, it's guys like him that are key guys off the bench. You know, like I said, Harden might not have been himself, not even half of what he usually is, but he was still able to pass the ball, facilitate, get the offense going. Durant was doing a little bit of everything. He was shooting. He was he was scoring. He was passing, setting guys up. And Jeff Green was was making the most of it and showing why he's an important piece of that team. Unfortunately for the Bucks, besides their starters, no one else was contributing. So I think in the rest of the series, if the Bucks are going to win, their guys on the bench are going to have to step it up. Guys like Pat Connaughton are going to have to really come through. Bobby Portis, Justin Jackson, and for the Nets, too, Joe Harris and Jeff Green, Landry Shamet, Nick Nick Claxton, those guys are all going to have to step up because, especially for the Nets with the injuries, Harden is is not going to be himself. Uh, I don't even know how how close he is to 100%. He's definitely not at 100%, though. So if they're going to want to advance to the next round, they're, they're going to have to get the most out of their bench. They're going to have to have another performance like the one Jeff Green put up in game five. Uh, Tom, you want to weigh in on on what do you think the rest of this series is going to look like? Yeah, I mean, game game six is happening right now. We got really it's going to be a battle of who's going to be able to have their players their players stepping up. And I'm saying right now it's going to be either Drew Holiday or Joe Harris is going to step up, and that team's going to end up winning because Joe Harris has made six shots in the last three games. And has been atrocious. He made one of 12, I believe, yesterday in the last game in game five. And uh, Drew Holiday hasn't been great on defense, hasn't been good on offense at all. And uh, it's going to be whichever one of them can really step it up and do well that's going to propel their team into the finals or the, the conference finals. Exactly. And bench is important. 
like we said, Joe Harris has not been good, but Jeff Green has. And like you said, I think it's going to come down to which bench really, I think it's going to be which bench can, can contribute the most. And in my opinion, I think it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets. I think they're still going to come out on top in this series. I just think the Rants are on another planet right now. Um, and, and even if the Bucks were to win tonight, I think going back to Brooklyn, I just, I don't see the Nets losing that game, but who knows? And as for the opponent that they will be facing in the next round, everyone thought it, it would be the Philadelphia 76ers in a cakewalk, a four or five game series, but it has not been that way. The Hawks took game one in a game where they shot ridiculously from three. Philadelphia came storming back, didn't end up winning. Philly takes game two and three by good margins. Game four, in a close nail-biter once again, the, the Sixers fall. And, and I think in that game, everyone wants to blame Ben Simmons. And while he was not good, I'm going to be very honest with you, Joel Embiid was also horrible in, in, in the fourth quarter. He shot – Four of 20 from the field in the whole game. He was 0 for 12 in the second half. He ended up with 17 points. He had 21 rebounds, but towards the end of the game, he goes up for a layup and just misses it. And in a key critical situation, critical minutes, he misses a layup that he makes a thousand times in a row. And then Ben Simmons tries to grab the rebound, put it back up, and it goes out of bounds and the Hawks end up winning. And once again, Ben Simmons, I know he does, he, his ability to shoot is just out the window. In that game, he was five of 10. And those don't even sound like bad numbers, but he's not even shooting the ball when he has the chance to. He's, he's almost afraid to shoot. And I think it's hurting their offense. And, and it doesn't help when Joel Embiid is not himself. And I think that's ultimately led to their downfall in game, in game four. Also, not to mention Trey Young is just having a, a, a spectacular postseason, 25 for 18 assists in that game four. But the main story is, is game six, uh, game five, I'm sorry, where Ben Simmons was probably the worst player on the floor. I mean, just dreadful. Two of four, he only shot the ball four times, but he was four of 14 from the line. A guy like him who can't shoot, He's a good, great defender. He's a good rebounder. He can pass the ball. A guy like him who can't shoot has to rely on free throws. And he just didn't come up last night. And they were up by 26 at one point and they blew it. They got outscored 40 to 19 in the fourth quarter on it. And, and listen, the 76ers probably have the best defensive team in the league. And they, they allowed the Hawks to score 40 Trey young, 39 points, absolutely torching them. Ben Simmons was not even very good on defense either. He just had a, a horrible game. And I honestly don't even want to just blame him. I, I also have to call out Doc Rivers here. He got out coached. Listen, his team is supposed to be this good defensive team. And they know Ben Simmons can't shoot. The Hawks know Ben Simmons can't shoot. And they took advantage of that. There's just so many things that went wrong in this game. And it was just an embarrassing loss. Game six, I believe, is either tomorrow night or Saturday night. But they got to get that figured out. They got to find a way for Ben Simmons to produce offensively where it's not shooting the ball because that has not worked. And not only are they down, they're, they lose, they're now down in the series three to two, going back to Atlanta, where Atlanta, the surprise team, Trey Young, 
been the MVP of the playoffs probably so far, have a chance to win on in, in their home, um, in front of their home crowd and go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Thoughts, guys? Yeah, it's it's crazy. There's a lot of things you can point to that are wrong with the Sixers right now. And one of the main there's I think there's two main things that I, I really see are the problem, which the the first being you have to find somebody else who can score the ball besides Joel and beating clutch situations in the second half in Game five, the only two people to score field goals were Joel Embiid and Seth Curry, and not a single other player on the 76ers scored a field goal. And you're not going, no matter how many points you're up, you're you're not going to really win a game by doing that. So they have guys like Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton, all, all these guys, they have to you know, step up if they're going to compete with the Hawks depth wise. And secondly, it's, it comes down to Ben Simmons. He's the number two slash number three player on the team. You can't go in the playoffs and be shooting four for 14 from the free throw line in clutch situations. So he's really going to need to step up and they're just going to do hack a Simmons every, every time there's a clutch situation or you need a comeback and he has to prove them wrong and start hitting those free throws. So if, if the Sixers are going to win this series, they, they got to stop Trey young, but more importantly, they need to figure out, get Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons back on track. Cause I, I think those two are really the key to their success at this point. And it's funny that you mentioned scoring Seth Curry had 36 points. He was seven of right. 12 from three. They had other guys scoring, scoring baskets to just, it was, I honestly, I just, I still have to key it up. I don't want to put all the blame on Ben Simmons, but he just, no one else had double digit points besides um, Embiid and, and Seth Curry. So like you said, someone else, whether it's Harris, Ben Simmons, someone has to, Matisse Stiebel, someone has to step up and do something and not to mention stopping Trey Young. He went to the free throw line 19 times, hit 17 shots. I mean, that's 90% compared to Ben Simmons, 28%. Something's got to give in game six. But I will say, though, with all that said, it's a very entertaining playoff so far. Those games have been good. The Nets-Bucks games have been pretty good. Um, it, it's going to be exciting to see what happens in game six and possibly game seven in that series. Just to quickly breeze over the rest of the playoffs – the Suns swept the Nuggets. It was a pretty, you know, dominant series. Chris Paul was unstoppable, just adding to his repertoire. Uh, he needs a ring, just completely torching that Nuggets depleted defense. Um, and then the Jazz and the Clippers, which looked like the, the Jazz could possibly walk away with that series. And then all of a sudden, the Clippers win two games. And then Kawhi Leonard gets hurt. And last night, without him, Paul George puts on a show and they win again. So now they're up three to two over the Utah Jazz. When in reality, the Jazz haven't won. They've they've lost three in a row. And without Kawhi Leonard, they had to win a game last night and they didn't. Paul George was the better player, unfortunately, for the uh, Jazz sake. And and at the end of the day, got to go back tomorrow and go back to. 
the LA and try to win a game there to get it to a game seven. Um, anyone thoughts on, on that series? Yeah, it's, I actually, I'm kind of surprised after I saw the Kawhi Leonard news that he he'll probably be out for the rest of the series. If I had a guess based on the nature of the, well, they, they said it could be a torn ACL possibly. I don't, I don't think that's what it is, but they said there's a possibility. So if, if that's the case, then, they're really going to have a tough time. But listen, maybe the way play, Paul George played yesterday, maybe it, it's not so unlikely. Yeah, I, th- I think they said he has like a sprained ACL, which would mean it's like partially torn, but not like surgery required. But that means it's like very, very weak in a sense. So one wrong step and it would be a, like a fully torn ACL. So they'll probably, especially with a player like Kawhi Leonard, who, you know, they're very cautious with in general. I, I would be very surprised if they took a chance, especially since it's only the second round of the playoffs and not like the finals or anything like that. And the, it just seemed like, you know, he went out and the Clippers just rallied around, you know, Paul George. They really took Marcus Morris. He had a great game. They really just took it to heart and they wanted to show that they, they can win without Kawhi Leonard. But the, the Jazz are still in the series. Donovan Mitchell, you know, he can still – throw up 40, 50 points when, whenever he needs to. So I, I wouldn't count them out of that series yet. We all know Kawhi Leonard's the best player on the floor. Donovan Mitchell, very close. Um, I don't think winning is sustainable. I Paul, you know, playoff Paul, he, <laughs> Paul George is a great player, but I, I don't think that it's sustainable for them to keep winning without Kawhi if he's going to be out for an extended period of time. If he's out for game six, I think the Jazz take that one and then go back to um, Utah for game seven, and who knows if he'll play that game. Uh, We'll see. It's going to be an interesting last few games. All these series are going to be – they're all three to two right now. Can't wait to see what unfolds. By next week, we'll be in the uh, conference final stage of it. And who knows? It, it could be Nets and Hawks. It could be Bucks and Hawks, Bucks and Sixers, Nets and Sixers. And then it could be Suns, Jazz, Suns, Clippers. Lots of possibilities. Personally, I like to see the Suns and the Jazz. They're two newer teams that are on the rise. I like to see Donovan Mitchell against Devin Booker. And I'd like to see the Nets. Then Who doesn't want to see, I don't know if we'll see Kyrie, but who doesn't want to see Harden and Durant? And I'd like to see them go up against the Hawks. I, I'm a Knicks fan, so I, I don't want to see the Sixers in it anyway. And, I, and it, honestly, it enhances the Knicks, I guess, stature because, you know, they say, oh, they lost to the net, the Hawks, but the Hawks are now in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Trey Young, as much as he's a, he was a pain in the behind in, in that series against the Knicks, he is just a great player. It's great to watch what he's done. And, and they're a fun team, so – I like to see them try to take on the Nets. I really do think the Nets are just going to cakewalk if they win this series. I think they're going to cakewalk whoever they have to play in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think they'll end up playing either the Suns or the Jazz. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting next few days. NBA playoffs, always a fun time. And in my opinion, just star-studded casts every night. And that's the best part about basketball, especially playoffs. Yeah, hopefully Chris Paul can come back for for the East for the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, he's 
He's Maybe. a a legend, a Hall of Famer already. It'd be nice to see him get uh, a ring over there. That's I'm rooting for them. I like Devin Booker. I really am rooting for the Suns. I don't know if they're going to make it all the way, but I like what they have going there. And they were really a surprise team this year. They weren't supposed to finish as high as they did, and they they were. And now they're four games away from an NBA Finals. So we'll see if they can take on the challenge and and get there. Yeah, I'm really liking what Trey Young's doing right now. I mean, we we all we all see like there there's stars all over the place, but Trey Young in his first playoff appearance has just consistently been putting up 30 point games. He's dropping bombs all over the place, and he he's really taking on a mentality where it's like, do what if you hate me, I really don't care because I'm just gonna go improve myself every game, and it's really working for him. So I I've really liked what I've seen from him. Yeah, he he's. He's embracing that. He does not let it get to his head. If anything, he's letting this get to his head in a good way. He is yeah. just taking this, this enemy persona that he has created in all these in for the Sixers fans and the Knicks fans, and he is just loving it. He loves the be having to hate against him and just proving everybody wrong. And you're right, Tom. He is doing something special right now. That team has a lot of good players. You know, Clint Capella and. John Collins, all good players, but it, it, they would be nothing without Trey Young. Just watching him facilitate the offense, some crazy passes, him driving in and just just cutting through the defense, you know, swishing threes. He can do everything out there. Um, he, he's just a, a, a real amazing player to watch. That's why I, I honestly like to see them beat the Sixers. I think it'd be fun to watch him go up against Harden, Durant, or him go up against Giannis. Um, and who knows if if they get hot at the right time, which they are seem like they are right now, maybe they could even take down uh, one of those two teams and get to the NBA Finals. Imagine Suns Hawks. Who would have thought if that ends up being the finals? But who knows? It's a crazy. It's still even though COVID's slowly um, going away, it's still been crazy with COVID. So anything can happen, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually, I really do think the Hawks have a chance if they if they can get through the Sixers if they can pull out one of these next two games, which will be very difficult because, you know, the Sixers are the number one seed for a reason. But if they can pull it out, if with a injured Nets team, they're very vulnerable. And the Bucks have shown that they're vulnerable, especially with like Giannis at the free throw line. And they uh, they could really, they could go to the finals. It's It's realistic, I feel like. They have a chance, which would have been crazy to say, I feel like a couple of weeks ago that, the Hawks would be going to the finals, but it's a it seems like a reality now. Yeah, I, ne- I never would have said it. I, I remember a good percentage of people picking the Knicks to win that series, like a, yeah. a good amount. I would say two thirds of people were picking the Knicks to win that series, and they lost in five. And then I, I would say probably ninety percent of people were like, "Oh, the Sixers are going to probably walk all over them." And they've they've silenced the haters with their backs against the wall. Sometimes the team with the bat their backs against the wall, they motivates them. And they've especially Trey Young, like I said, he's just taken this persona and just went with it, and he's been great. So that's yeah, basketball. And, oh no, go ahead, Tom. And uh, Lou Will has really uh, stepped up too. He's been he's been all over the place, really doing well in offense, stepping up in this playoff series. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. The stars get a lot of all the credit, but the bench players for some of these teams have been incredible. Like I said, Jeff Green and 
Game five, eight of seven of eight from three, 27 points off the bench. Um, I think the bench, the bench in in the playoffs is a make or break. The team with the better bench sometimes wins the series. The team with the guys, the sixth guy who can come off the bench, give you 20, 30 points, is gonna win that series. You know, it, it's 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 an interesting thing. Is you don't think of it right away. You think of oh, whose star is gonna go up against who, which star is gonna come out on top. Sometimes it's not what it's all about. Sometimes it is about the bench. And I really do think the reason the Bucs lost that game was because of their bench. That was a big part of it. I think that because their bench didn't contribute in that uh, game five, they had they had the golden opportunity, an injured James Harden, again, and, and a no Kyrie Nets, and they just didn't – they fell flat. Their bench just did not produce. And I think that's important if they're going to want to win this series. Yeah, they. it's always – you know, always everyone always portrays like the star against the star, but a lot of times the stars cancel out like their their points, their production, they cancel out. And then like a team like the Hawks, they have a really good bench. They have like Gallinari and Lou Williams and Kevin Huerter and all these guys coming off their bench. And these are all guys who can easily drop 20, 30 points in a game. And that's that's the type of bench that you need in the playoffs, especially if you have the stars and if, if going back to like that Hawks Knicks series, the Knicks, they have the bench. They were just missing the one more star that they needed in order to cancel out with Trey young and Bogdan Bogdanovich. So that that's, I feel like that's really the difference makers, the bench in these playoff games. I feel like in every sport in the postseason, there's one thing that gets overlooked and, and, it's, I think in the bench, it's basketball, um, and in basketball, it's the bench. In baseball, though, I always say the team with the better bullpen is going to win every series because the bullpen, and relating it now to football, is like the offensive line. You, you don't look at it as the first thing, but if you have a good one, you, you, you can win. If you have a good bullpen, you can definitely win. If you have a good offensive line, the rest can be – mediocre you could win I would take a stellar bullpen with mediocre starting pitching over stellar starting pitching in a mediocre bullpen and I'll tell you why because that was exactly the 2015 Mets against the Royals the Royals had subpar starting and an elite bullpen and the Mets just had stellar pitching starting pitching and a subpar bullpen and who came out on top the Royals one in five and I know there was a lot else that had to do with it there were defensive errors but ultimately, I think the team that has the better bullpen has the edge. Um, speaking of baseball, we're going to start talking about that now. The Yankees and Mets seem to be going in different directions. The Mets are in first place. They're 10 games over. They've won the first three games against the Cubs. The Yankees have won a couple games, but overall, they, they've struggled mightily. Um, they are not the Yankees that we thought they were going to be this year. Uh, last year, they – they were underwhelming and I think people chalked it up to, well, there was COVID, you know, it was an, it was not a normal season next year. They'll be back. And so far they've probably been more underwhelming than they were last year. They're not hitting. The pitching has been just average besides Garrett Cole. I don't really know a reliable number two guy. Kluber has been good, um, but he's injured. And so, uh, you know, no one else has really stepped up. Tyone has been no more than a five inning guy. Montgomery struggled. Uh, Chapman was great to begin the year, was unhittable, and then he blows a save, and he's been rocked around a bit recently. 
It's just the Yankees just look a bit depleted. You know, their offense was supposed to carry this team, and right now they're 25th in the league in runs. Uh, they, they just they just struggled mightily. No one's hitting. LeMahieu has been heating up. Uh, but overall, they're just not hitting with men on base. That's the main issue. They just do not hit with runners in scoring position. That's a mighty struggle for them. They leave so many guys on base. And with the way their offense is, the pitching pretty much has to be perfect, and it hasn't been, leading to their record. They're only two games over 500. Two or th- it might be three now. But – the Mets, on the other hand, they're not scoring either. They're actually 29th in the league in runs scored, but their pitching has been phenomenal. They lead the National League in team ERA, and that's due to guys like DeGrom, who has been otherworldly, like record-breakingly good, Marcus Stroman, Taiwan Walker, all guys that have just performed really well, and their bullpen's been, been really good. You know, Castro and Seth Lugo and Edwin Diaz, Diaz finally looks like the guy that Mets traded for with that electric slider and fastball combo. Uh, DeGrom, unfortunately, yesterday starts the game, retires the first nine batters in a row, um, strikes eight of them out, and then he leaves the game with shoulder tightness. He left the game in his previous start after six innings, and now you're at this line where you need him to pitch every five days, but you also don't want him to get hurt for the long term. So, it's one of those things uh, for Luis Rojas, the best manager, and their whole training staff to figure out when can you can you push this or do you do you kind of pull back and say, well, let's rest him a start. Do you put him on the IL? Do you, you know, he wants to go out there and compete, and he knows that that he that he's needed every five days, so he wants to go out there. But when where is the fine line? You guys think where you say, hey, listen. We need you for think about the future, possibly winning this division. Where do you where do you draw the line and say, listen, we need you to, to rest and not start today? Yeah, I, I would draw it now. I think that you're you're in mid June. It's not it's not like September where you're like right in the middle of the playoff race. There's still so much time left in the season, and you want Degrom to be right for. August, September, possible like playoffs that that's really when you want him. So if he needs, you know, to miss a start or two now for him to be healthy, like I I have no problem with that because he's the best pitcher in baseball right now and you need him 100%. It's it's yeah, you're right. Um, They are five games in um, they're They're in first place. They have a five game lead. They're 10 games over 500. And you're right. I really do think, and listen, if he insists he's fine, he only, he knows his body. He knows his body the best. If he really thinks he's fine, I let him go out there, but you're right, Justin. They, it's not like we need to win games for behind. We need games to win. They have a slight cushion. I don't think any lead is big enough, but they can afford, I think to let him miss a start or two so that he is healthy later on. Um, I will say though, at the other time, at, at the same time, though they're they're depleted with injuries. Um, luckily, Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto were supposed to come back soon. But as for starting pitching, Syndergaard was was on his way back, and he had a setback, shut down for six weeks. Carlos Carrasco, whom they acquired in the Francisco Lindor trade, has not been seen, probably won't be seen till about August. It's a struggle. Besides Walker and Stroman, other than that, they have guys that are just okay. Luke, Joey Lucchese only goes four or five innings. Peterson's been very inconsistent. 
Other than that, they don't really have another starter, to be honest. I think they might have to go into the farm system and call somebody up. Or I think they got to make a trade for a starting pitcher, um, especially with the injuries. I think if you're going to go, you're going to make a run this year, you got to get another starter in there that's that's decent, that's quality, that's going to give you innings, it's going to give you quality two runs, three runs over six or seven innings, put you in position to win. A guy that's not going to cost too much. Um I just think if you're the Mets GM, Zach Scott, that's what you got to be thinking about right now. Tom, I want to ask you about the DeGrom situation because you are a pitcher. So I, I want to hear your opinion on what the pitchers says and what the what the athlete says and what the training staff and the manager says. That is true. I am a pitcher. <laughs> hmm. there, there has been like a lot of talk about in, injuries just throughout the league just because there's been so many. And it's been throughout all sports too, like especially with NBA playoffs rolling around, there's been injuries all over the place, especially with the stars. So really what you want to do with Jacob DeGrom in this situation, you just rest them. It's June. You're leading in the, you're leading in your conference. Like you might as well just do it. Like Jacob DeGrom, he's just so good. You just got to let, let him get back to where he's supposed to be so he can be 100% and keep winning you games. Yeah, it's it's it is really a tough situation because you want him out there every five days. You want him to go out there because let's be honest, the Mets don't score for him, but every time he goes out there, you have a very good chance of winning that game. And but at the same time, I I do think there's a chance if you do push him and he thinks he's good, then he gets hurt for the rest of the year. Then what are you then what are you gonna do? Uh so <laughs> <laughs> I think at the end of the day, Jacob DeGrom should rest the next couple of starts. Just let him get back to where he needs to be this way. When we, when we're in a pennant race in August and September, he's ready to go and pitch you 17 innings of shutout ball and they can win some games. And then if they get to the postseason, you need him there too. Uh, we can't afford him to be getting hurt right now, trying to go eight innings in a game against on a Tuesday night against the nationals. Um, speaking of injuries, Tyler Glass now, the ace of the Tampa Bay Rays, got injured, uh, partially torn UCL, could mean Tommy John. Um, the doctors aren't sure yet. And he went on this tirade the other day about how he chalks it up to the MLB's policy on foreign substances. And he went up there and he admitted, he said, listen, I use sunscreen, I use rosin to try and grip the ball better. And every pitcher spoken out and says, we don't use this stuff to get a competitive advantage. They don't, we don't use it to get more spin. We use it to grip the ball better. Cause in case you don't know, baseballs get beat up and when the dirt's on there, it's hard to grip it. And when you have to grip it, you got to push it farther in your palm and you're gripping it harder and you're throwing it harder. And this is going to lead to injuries. That's what happened with glass. Now he said he never had to hold his two seam fastball or his curveball as hard as he did. And when he was throwing, um, holding it that hard and throwing it like that, it led to him getting injured. And I, I kind of agree with him. I, I really don't think some of these pitchers are using these substances just to get more spin. They know their stuff is good. They use it to get a grip. And th this whole debacle with these foreign substances has been going on for the past two or three weeks. And ever since the MLB implemented that 10 game suspension thing, 
batting average across baseball has been up 11 points. So it definitely has made a difference in the way pitchers are pitching. Would I say it's a direct cause? No. But I do think the MLB has to figure, figure out something where they can come to a compromise because sooner or later more of these star pitchers are going to get hurt and no one wants that either. Yeah, guys will always look for a competitive advantage. And it's, it's not having no sunscreen on your hands or having pine tar is a pretty big advantage when it, when it comes to the baseball. But you, you really like the balls that you're using in an MLB game, I believe it's 12 get rotated in and out throughout the game. So really it's not that bad. You really shouldn't have to rely on these types of substances to really get you, unless you're like super used to it at this point, which clearly most pitchers are. You really shouldn't have to rely on them to be a great pitcher, but that's what baseball's come to at this point, and it's pretty sad for those guys. They have to go go through go through this transition period where they where they were elite and they were doing insane things, and now they have to go back to being what they were before using these substances. And yeah, I I just think like at this point. If, if you're trying to get people off of it, you didn't, you didn't really give them time to like rehabilitate themselves and get used to pitching without the, these substances. Cause it's, it's a huge difference. Like I've never used it in a game, but like when, when I was like, just like kind of getting back into the swing of things, I, I would use like sunscreen and just get better grip. And it's, it's a heavy difference. There is so much like, difference like the difference in your spin and especially like the movement of balls like there's a dramatic change every time you use one of these substances and you really have to uh be used to be like ready for that change if you're a pitcher or you're going to hurt yourself trying to overthrow i love that perspective that you gave especially coming from a pitcher and you're right. I do think the guys all try to get a competitive advantage. And I sort of disagree with you on the fact that they shouldn't have to use it. I, th- I think they do. If you think about it, the the batter, right? The All the hitters use pine tar and all kinds of stuff, batting gloves to grip their bats, right? So why shouldn't the pitcher be allowed to use some sort of substance um, to help with their tool, the baseball? I think well, that's why they have the rosin a- bag. Well, the rosin bag, uh, I watched a video today about that. It actually just helps to dry out your hand from moisture. That, that's what I've heard from a guy. I saw a video from a, a minor league pitcher. He said that the rosin bag is used not to get the better grip, but to when your hands are moist to like help dry them out to make it um, easier to pitch. But, yeah, but when you have that, when you have less sweat, it's definitely a big help with your grip because when you have when you have the ball on your fingertips it's a lot less likely to like get out of the way or not do what you want it to exactly and and that and there's a bunch of different opinions on it i just think that there's so many conflicting opinions what i think baseball should do is they should allocate one substance and allow pitchers to use a certain amount of it. I'm okay if you use some sunscreen on your ball on your hands just to make your 
make make your pitches um, not move more, but to make your grip better. I think that's fine. I think you 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 can get away with that. Uh, I, I don't think pitchers should be abusing it though. And I think some pitchers do. I think some pitchers would overload on the substances and they, they would use it to their advantage where it was not fair anymore to the hitter. I just think it's such a strong debate. There's good cases for both sides. Like Tommy, right. They shouldn't have to use it. They should just be, you. They, if they should be good enough or they should use what they have, the rosin bag and they should be able to pitch no problem. But I also see where Tyler Glass now is coming from. And this is where we're talking about all the pitchers. He said throughout his whole career, high school, college, minors, he always used substances, always used sunscreen. So he was used to pitching with it. So he's used to the grips, how they were. Now that he couldn't use it, he had to change everything about his mechanics and he got hurt. So I think at this point, while it might be wrong to use the substances, I guarantee you 90% of pitchers are just have done their whole career. They're just so used to it. I think you just got to pick one and let and let them use it because they're just, they're already so deep within using it. It's just going to change the whole game. And I think more stars are going to get hurt if you don't allow the use of some substances. Yeah. I really think it's the time aspect. Like I think like going to the, that sort of point of view is, you know, changing the whole rule in the middle of the season is very difficult. You know, obviously there's a, you know, debate whether like the pitcher should be able to use the substances or like not, but it really needs to be a consistent messaging from the MLB. And this is something that should really be taking place in the off season. You know, I'm sure all these pitchers, right. They were using substances last year, the year before, you know, this is not like a new thing that just started like, this year for the past like month. So they, they should really reevaluate. They should have reevaluated this in the off season and come up with a way to allow pitchers to have a good grip on the ball, whether that's using one substance that they think will like diminish spin rates, but allow grip or no substances, whatever the case may be, that's an off season conversation. And they threw that, the middle of the season. I'm sure Tyler Glass now won't be the only pitcher that gets injured because of it. Unfortunately, you're right. There are probably going to be more injuries. I also think a contributor to them using to the pitchers possibly using more substances or less is the MLB every year changing the baseball. Sometimes right. they make they make it lighter, they make it heavier, they juice them. It's just there's way too many variables. Pick one baseball and stick with it. I don't care if Justin Verlander's complaining that they're juiced. Don't listen to anybody. Pick a baseball that you that the MLB thinks is is good and stick with it. Stop changing it every single time someone complains. Every year they're changing it. And now that also contributes to pitchers how they grip the ball. You know, it's lighter, they might grip it more, they might grip it less. And you're right. Unfortunately, I do think another pitcher, star pitcher, might get injured. Might not be from that, but they might blame it on. They might not be from the foreign substance, or the I should say, the lack thereof foreign substance use. But they they could chalk it up to that, and then and then it, chaos is has ensued. And I think it's also stupid for the MLB to change in the middle of the season. Why do this now? I understand. I think obviously the big contributor was the the offense and the batting average were so down, but that could be from anything. It might not be from from the foreign substance use. It could be. It could not be. I think 
they're just rushing into things, changing everything. Slow down, put the brakes on, figure yourselves out before another guy gets hurt. And just, I just really think the solution has to be pick one substance and, and, and that's it. And then move on with your life or change the baseball, anything just, just to see the results. Just, just a whole mess, the situation, in my opinion, it's just not a good scenario to be in if you're a pitcher, because now you don't know what's legal. You don't want to get hurt. And every day you're just worried, holding your breath that another star is going to get injured. Right. It's if they should just make whatever it is consistent and just sort of leave it at that, like chain manipulating the baseball every year. Like I think this past year for this season, they like tried to reduce like how far the ball would go. I think I had read something that it was like, they tried to reduce it by like three feet, the ball this well, year. Yeah, They made the balls uh, lighter. So they wouldn't carry as much because, because, I remember Justin Verlander was complaining that the balls were too juiced and they were giving him too many home runs. So if you're him, shut your mouth. You're a hall of famer. Don't you, you can't, shouldn't be complaining that you gave up a couple more home runs. I mean, come on. And I think that's also part of it. The baseball just keeps changing things and it's going to lead to more problems. You're by keeping, by always changing things, it's going to create more problems, more issues in the future. You just, if you Rob Manfred, get everyone together, get the, the commissioners and the owners together and figure out a solution to this problem before more guys get hurt, before it gets worse. That's I can't I, and consistency, Justin. You're right. Pick something and stick with it. Be consistent. And then the problem should work itself out. Who cares if one year offense is up a bit? Who cares if it's down a bit? It's baseball. You can't, it's not scripted. You can't say. Well, this year I would like the batting average to be at 250, but it's at 245. So we're gonna we're gonna ban substances or oh this year the averages was up 15 points. We're gonna make the ball lighter. Who cares? It's not scripted, it's not a movie. It's supposed it's supposed to be this way. Stick with it, stop changing everything, stop making more you're making it a bigger pro- issue than it has to be. And now guys are getting hurt and glass now. It was a fun guy to watch, great pitcher, nasty stuff. Who knows? He might be out for the rest of the year. And the Rays are, are probably the best. They had the best record, or they did, until the White Sox tied them in the American League. And now they don't have their best player, their best pitcher. And what fun is that? Who, want, who, who wants to go through with that? What if, what if someone else gets injured? It's just it's, – it's a whole big mess that the MLB has. They're just digging themselves deeper every single day. And Rob Manfred's got to do something to get him out of it. Yeah, because I as I think, as you said last week, like they're not changing like the ball in basketball because three-point percentages are up or down right. for dinner. Like if the Roger Goodell thinks like Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball too far, he's not yeah, like, he's gonna make the ball, ball heavier. heavier, make the ball bigger. Right. Or right. If, if he doesn't think they're throwing it far enough, he's gonna make the ball smaller. <laughs> right. You don't see this happening. It's a baseball. Keep it the way it is. Just because you want because it because it's a business at the end of the day, I understand you want it to be more entertaining. And I think they want the star players to start hitting more home runs. That that's where it all comes down to. They want to they want to market these guys. And they don't want to say, look at this guy hitting 210 with five home runs. They want to say, look at this guy like Vlad Jr., who's 
who's an MVP candidate. They want more guys like that. That's why they keep changing everything. But you know what? Maybe it's not the baseball. Maybe it's not the foreign substances. Maybe just the guys aren't hitting this year. Who knows? That, that, you ever think of that? No, because it's a business at the end of the day. That's where it bothers me. But you're right. They're not going to change the puck in hockey because there's too many goals. It's just it's just a headache to even think about. Uh, besides the foreign substance use, uh, we have a few minutes left real quick. We're just going to touch on a couple more things. Uh, besides the foreign substance use, Vlad Guerrero Jr., I think, in my opinion, he has been the surprise of the season. He was a guy that was a highly regarded prospect. I remember it. He was tearing it up in double-A and triple-A, got called up in 2019 and was just okay. Had problems with his weight, participates in the home run derby, loses to Pete Alonzo in the final round. Last year was pretty dreadful, loses some weight. And this year the expectations were low and he has just come out on fire. He's leading the league in, in almost every category. He, he's – his season has just been phenomenal so far. He's showing the power. He's showing the contact. Black Jr. is hitting 343 with 22 home runs and 56 RBIs. And right now, he's in line to win the uh, the triple the triple crown. Uh, the only thing he's lacking in, he is one point behind Michael Brantley for the batting average, for the batting title. But still, as a 22-year-old kid to be doing what he's doing, it's just, it's just remarkable. And, and he's a really a fun and special player to watch. Yeah, one of, I think one of the main reasons for it is he was playing like third base before the last couple of years. And they finally switched him over like full time to be a first baseman more than a, a designated hitter. Yeah. Yeah. And a designated hitter. Now he doesn't need to focus or worry about what's going on in the field. I remember, remember like a couple of years ago with like Reese Hoskins, for instance, he was being played in the outfield and he had a focus on being an outfielder and that led to worse hitting. And now maybe Vladimir Guerrero, he's fine. He's found his spot in the field, whether that's first base designated hitter, he's not as concerned about that. And he just focuses on what he does best, which is mashing the baseball. And that that's what he's been doing so far and that, that he's done. And I think also playing third base is, is a more demanding position. I think sometimes he was just gas going up there. I think also he lost weight, which helped. Uh, obviously, playing at 260 pounds is not ideal. <laughs> he lost some weight. Obviously, his father had to help, Vladimir Guerrero, who's a Hall of Famer. At the end of the day, though, he is really something special. So is Tatis and Acuna and Soto and Shohei Otani. Bunch of star power, and all those guys are MVP candidates, and I can't wait to see what they do the rest of the year. Um, I think that's going to be all for us today on Penn Station Sports Talk. Really good episode today. We'll see next week or whenever we do another episode. By then, we could have an NBA Finals coming up. We'll, the, these next few games of, of the NBA playoffs are going to – these series are going to come winding down, and who knows who's going to come out on top. Will it be the Nets? Will it be the Bucks? Will the Sixers turn it around? Will the Hawks surprise everyone and move to the West Eastern Conference Finals? Will the Jazz be able to overcome three straight losses? Will Mitchell step up and play well? Will the Clippers win without Kawhi Leonard? Will he be out? Who knows? Will the MLB figure out anything with this foreign substance use? 
those questions remain. But until then, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you guys next time on Penn Station Sports Talk.